Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that, that your word is alive. We ask that your word would speak to us, that it would, would be life-changing, and that we would not leave here the same. God, as we once again turn to your word to seek out who you say we are, we ask that, that we would be willing to receive that identity, that we would be willing to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So good morning, happy 4th of July. I, I really enjoy this holiday. It's, it's a good one. It's, it's fun, right? It's, it's nice. It's, it's a holiday that, that reminds me of blessing. And, and let me kind of explain why that is. This season and this holiday in particular is a time where, you know, in a lot of cases there, there's family gatherings, there's, there's different gatherings of people coming together. It's, it's fireworks, it's, it's barbecues, it's all of these different things that, that involve people coming together and spending time. And it, it's a time that reminds me of blessing. And as we are coming together celebrating our nation's independence, regardless of what political affiliation you may have, regardless of, of all of the, the craziness that happens in our world on a, a regular basis, we, we are blessed to live in this country where we can come here and we can have political affiliations. We can come here and we can, can share ideas. We can come and we can actually worship the Lord. There are so many places where that, just that simple act of us meeting today is not an option. Thank you, Jesus, for that blessing. And, and as we, we come this morning and as we, we go out to uh, celebrate the 4th of July and the independence of our nation, we have this opportunity to thank God for the blessings that he has given us. And, and you know, so often it's, well, Matt, isn't that Thanksgiving? Well, yeah, it is, but just go with me for a minute, and maybe we could say thank you more than once a year. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it is to, a time for us to come and say thank you, God, for, for what you have done. Today, we're going to be continuing down this, this road of this study from the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, and once again, we're going to discover who God says we are. And I, I have to admit, when I first kind of had the idea for this particular study, when I first said, you know, maybe this is something that we could do on a Sunday morning, I was wondering, you know, maybe this is going to get a little too repetitive. Maybe it's going to get a little too repetitive for us to, you know, over the next however many weeks, go through all of these different things that God says we are. That, Matt, we get it. God loves us. We're We're good. But, you know, as I was kind of looking at, at, at this study and as I was coming back to it again yesterday, the fact of the matter is, at least for me, I need repetition. <laughs> I need God to continually remind me, hey, it's okay. I've got this. I, I know who you are. I know who I am. 
And, and this is who I say you are. And the reason we need that repetition is because we, there's repetition from the world coming to us telling us who we are. There's repetition coming from everything around us, from media, from the news outlets, from the neighbor down the street that maybe doesn't have a good relationship with you, from, from all of those different inputs saying, well, this is who you are. You are not good enough. You don't look the right way. You don't think the right things. You don't have the right ideas. You don't care about this particular thing or that particular thing. But the fact of the matter is those things, as we've shared over the past couple of weeks, those things do not define you. Our God in heaven defines us, amen. So who does he say you are this morning? If we look at, at Ephesians in the first chapter, in the first verse, we're, we're really making a lot of headway in, in this study. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. God's word calls us faithful. And it's, it's interesting that God calls us faithful not calling us to be faithful. And, and I had never really stopped to think about that, that, that God is actively calling us faithful, that, that when we have made a choice to follow him, we've, we've made a choice to, to say, God, my heart is yours. You have control over my life. At that point, we are considered faithful. Why? Why does God view me as faithful? Is it something that I've done? Am I now somehow good enough that I, I have worked hard enough, I have tried, I've pushed all the right buttons, I pulled the right levers, and now I am magically at that place where I am faithful? Of course not. Like we have discussed so many times before, our best efforts can never be good enough. They can never make us right with God. That's hard to hear. It's hard to hear that you can't do anything to make yourself right with God. You can't do anything from a people that always tries to fix everything. I'm a guy and that's just hardwired into me. <laughs> Kaylee comes to me with, with stuff and, and so often I just immediately jump into, well, here's the five-step plan to fix that problem that you have. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> she doesn't say that she's nicer than that but I can tell <laughs> but I can't fix all the problems God has to fix those problems so, so it's not because I'm good enough that, that I'm called faithful the Lord God views me as faithful because I am in Christ Jesus. And with his help, I can walk out faithfulness. As we come this morning, in a little while, we're gonna come to the communion table and we're gonna celebrate a sacrifice that was made, the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ in order for us to be faithful in order for us to be called faithful. 
Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. I love that idea of just hanging on to something so tight. Hanging on to something because you know that if you let go, everything is lost. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when a, a dad is, is swimming with their, their child who maybe doesn't know how to swim yet. And, and that child, maybe two or three years old, is in the pool and they are just clamped on. They will not let go. And if, even if you try to extract yourself from them, they are just holding on because they know that they need to hold on. And the fact of the matter is we need to hold on unswervingly, as the word says, to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God, thank you that you are faithful. And because God is faithful, because God does what he says he's going to do, we can be faithful as well. So we have an example of faithfulness this morning. It's in the 20th chapter of Acts 22 through 25, and we're looking at the Apostle Paul, and it says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit, not knowing what shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all you among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus and where the, the people that he wrote this, the letter of the Ephesians to, he spent three years in Ephesus teaching them, building them up, growing them. And from there, it went to all of these different areas within Asia. And he left and he spent the winter in Corinth. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's in such a hurry to get back because he's trying to get back to celebrate Pentecost. He puts in, in a boat and he, he sails to this place called Miletus and it's about 20 miles south of Ephesus. And when he gets there, he, he sends word and he says, send me all of the elders of the church. Send me all the people that are in charge because I need to talk to them. I don't have time to talk to the whole church because I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm in a hurry to get there. But send all your elders to me. We need to have a chat before I go because I'm not gonna see you again. He knew he was going to die. And as they come, he gives them these words, these last words that we just read. He, he speaks to them and he tells them how they need to act going forward, how they need to live going forward. And so what we have in, in these verses is kind of the, the last will and testament of Paul to the, the elders of the Ephesian church. One of the first things that Paul tells the elders of the church is you need to have a commitment to looking forward. 
Paul looks forward to the commitments that are coming, the, the commitments that he knows the Holy Spirit has called him to. And he tells the elders of the church that, that he, they need to do the same thing. Look at what I'm doing and emulate me. Do the same thing. That's what we're supposed to be able to say to other people. We're supposed to be able to say, look at what I'm doing. Look at the, the way that I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ in such a correct way that you should be able to look at me and emulate it. Goodness. It's a process. You're not supposed to get there tomorrow. <laughs> but that is the, the growth plan that Paul has put in front of us. That's the growth plan that Christ has put in front of us. We're supposed to grow to become more like Christ, and in becoming more like Christ, other people can become more like us, which becomes more like Christ. Paul says, you know, you know what I was like. You know what happened to me. You know how my life changed over the last three or four years as we, we came together, as we worked together. Let me show you what I'm like today as I look forward to the future that's at hand. And, and Paul's not boasting of himself. He's, he's very much talking about real life things that are happening. He's talking about, I know when I go into a city that I'm going to be persecuted, that there's going to be pain and anguish that await me, but it's, it's for the sake of the kingdom of God, and so I go anyway. What does that mean? What does it mean that when we are saying that I know that there's hardship coming. I know that there's pain that's coming. I know that there might even be death that's coming, but I'm going anyway. Faithfulness is better than life. That's the, the phrase that we're gonna look at this morning. That's really, if we're to sum up everything that Paul just talked about is that faithfulness is better than life. So what does it mean? What does it mean for faithfulness to be better than life? It means that we are bound to the spirit and bound to the will of God. In verse 22 it says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the spirit. What does that mean? You don't know if we're, we're talking about Paul's spirit or, or the spirit of God or you know, the Holy Spirit. What, what are we talking about? But really, it doesn't make a difference because if it's Paul's spirit, Paul's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so it, it really doesn't matter what we're talking about here. The point is that Paul is under a conviction to go out and do what God has called him to do. He's, he's being compelled to go. The Spirit is at work in his life. Believing that faithfulness is better than life means being bound by the Spirit to the will of God. 
Believing that faithfulness is better than life means that you are content not to know what is going to happen tomorrow. Yuck. (laughs) My type A personality cannot take that very well. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is we have to be content to know that we don't know what tomorrow holds. Verse 22 says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the spirit, not knowing what will befall me there. I'm going because that's where God told me to go, but I have no idea what's gonna happen once I arrive. And, you know, I make jokes about, you know, that's such a hard thing for somebody with a a type A personality to do. But the fact of the matter is when you arrive to that place of being able to be content in living today and knowing that God will take care of tomorrow, there is a freedom that comes with that. If you have a pessimistic outlook on life, You dream of a a dozen different things that are gonna go wrong tomorrow. I may not be able to, to keep my spouse happy. I may not be able to keep my kids out of trouble. I may not be able to keep my job. I might not close this sale. I might not keep my house clean. I may not win this particular person to Christ that, that I feel like I'm supposed to, but, but the fact of the matter is those things are not things that we're called to worry about. God says, you you take care of today and I will take care of tomorrow. What God requires of you for tomorrow is not that you have to make things work. Success in the human ventures and the things that we have kind of constructed around us is not the measure of God on my life. And that's kind of a hard thing to understand. My, the outcome of the things in my job as an IT technician or as the, the director of customer success at an IT company is not the measure of God's success in my life. What God God requires of me tomorrow is that I will be faithful. Faithfulness is better than life means that we are not forsaking Christ in the midst of hardship, in the midst of affliction. If we look at, at verse 23, Paul goes on to say that there is one thing that he does know about tomorrow that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await. So that's really all we get for tomorrow is imprisonment and afflictions. <laughs> apparently, apparently that's, that's what Paul got. And so if we can honestly come and we can honestly say with Paul that faithfulness is better than life, it will mean that not only can I be content with the ignorance of what tomorrow is going to hold, but I will also be content with the fact that tomorrow probably doesn't hold all nice things. It 
And that's hard. Because I know that there are people in this room that are going through hard things. Whether it's health related, whether it's finance related, whether it's job related, people related, family related, there are hard things that are happening in our lives. And it would be so wonderful if I could stand up here and say, God says all of the hard things go away. (laughs) But they do on that side of heaven. But while we're here, hard things will happen. Hard things exist. What does Paul tell these Ephesian elders in this seemingly really discouraging (laughs) bit of coaching? What, What does he say? He says, I don't care if I'm facing this hardship in my life. I don't care if I'm faced with persecution, with imprisonment. I'm going forward anyway. And you know, I don't care probably isn't the right word because he probably did care. He probably cared a lot. He would have much rather not done that. But he was gonna do it anyway. And the reason I think it matters to say that he did care is because you guys care. I care about the hardships that I have to face tomorrow. I'd rather not. The things that you guys are going through in your life, you'd rather not. Yeah? But our response is what matters. It's, yeah, I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not have this happen in my life. But faithfulness is better than life. Faithfulness being better than life, and this is, I'm going to go out on a limb here on 4th of July. Faithfulness means that we're going against the American dream sometimes. What does it mean that faithfulness is better than life? It means Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem no matter what the cost, no matter what impact on my safety and my standard of living, I'm going to Jerusalem because that's where God has called me to go. But, but Paul, you're getting old. Isn't it time just to go find a little fishing cottage someplace and, and go hang out? Live out the rest of your days in peace? Wouldn't that be easier You've already done more in your ministry than most people in the world will do in an entire lifetime. It's, it's time to stop and rest. Go live out on a golf course somewhere. Let Timothy take over. He's, he's young. He can do just fine. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Rome and give up this crazy plan of traveling to Spain. You don't need to worry about any of that. I need to be clear. There's nothing wrong with retirement. <laughs> okay, there, there is nothing wrong with 
when your boss tells you, hey, it's time for you to not work here anymore. <laughs> or when the government says, hey, it's time for you to, to retire and take a pension, whatever that looks like in your life, that's okay. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is it's so tempting in the midst of that life change to say, well, now it's time for me to go live in a cottage by myself for the rest of my life and I'm done. My, my time of being effective in the world is finished. No, you have just been given a change of orders is all. Retirement does not equate to being less effective in the kingdom of God. Faithfulness is better than life, better than leisure life in retirement, better than leisure life in the middle years, and better than leisure life at a young age. Faithfulness is better than life, regardless of where you are. You are called to be faithful, and God calls us faithful. Why? Why is faithfulness better than life? In verses 24 and 25, it tells us faithfulness is better than life because faithfulness means that you have finished the race, that you have started, you have run, and you have finished. And the one who finishes the race will get a crown. Paul says in verse 24, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my course. And the, the word course that he's talking about here is not like a course in school. It's a course, is in a race course. There's one other place in the Bible where he uses that word, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. Faithfulness is better than life because beyond this short life, beyond this time that we spend here on this earth, there is a life of joy, a life of peace that stretches on for all of eternity. And those who are faithful will enter into that life with a crown of righteousness. He who endures to the end will be saved in Matthew 24, 13. The, the slight momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Blessed are you who when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. No one has left anything for my sake and the gospels who will not receive it back a hundredfold. Matthew 19, 29. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 12, 25. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
It's Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Why is faithfulness better than life? Because faithfulness means finishing the race. Finishing the race means unimaginable joy. God is gracious and God is king. Why does that matter? It matters because because God is gracious. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. God is gracious. He cares enough about us that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross, to take on the sin of the world, to make a way for us to be called faithful, to give us definition. So faithfulness is better than life. What is the the basis of that confidence? How can we say that? We can say that because, because God is king. He is faithful. He is ruler. He is sovereign over the universe. And he is gracious. So the question that we have to ask this morning is, is that something that that we believe? Is that a truth that we will hold on to like that two-year-old in the pool that's just got that death grip on their, their father's arm because they know where their hope comes from? God's word, the, the word that is Holy Spirit-inspired defines who we are. When we ask that question of who am I? This morning as we move to the the communion table, Matthew 26, 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when they had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat this. It's my body. He took the cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is my blood that defines you. This is my blood that says who you are. We, We sing that song where we talk about the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. What is that better word? What does that mean? What does it mean that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word? It speaks a better word than all of the the terrible stuff that I have done in my life. It speaks a better word than what other people say about us. The blood of Jesus says that I am chosen, that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I have value, that I am a child of the King. That's the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we come to listen to that better word that your blood speaks over us. 
God, we come this morning and, and we recognize the sacrifice that has been made for us, God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who you are. God, we come this morning, we proclaim that in your glory, glory God, in your power and your might and your wisdom, you have made us faithful. We thank you that we can be called the faithful because of who you are. Bless the rest of this day and the rest of this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 